Welcome back. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Pseudo Intellectual Live. Today, we have a very special guest. You know him, I'm sure, as Destiny Steven. He is one of the largest streamers right now. So really happy that he's taken the time to come chat with us. Destiny, how you doing? Hey, what's up? I'm doing great. Doing good here. Actually, I'm lying. I'm being Canadian and just being friendly. I'm sick. So if my nose gets more red throughout the stream, it's because I, I have a box of tissues next to me. But um, do you prefer Steven or Destiny? Are you good with either? Uh, definitely Steven. Steven. Okay, gotcha. Um, yeah, I, I, I came up during the era of YouTube where screen names were kind of common. So I, I used to be roaming millennial and then I kind of abandoned that. But yeah, I, I, I know how it be. Um, so first off, happy Valentine's Day to you and everyone in the chat. Yeah, happy Valentine's Day to you as well. Yeah, for, for anyone who celebrates uh, this, I mean, admittedly very commercialized holiday, but I thought we could kind of talk about some relationship stuff in honor of the holiday. I want to open up with a question I think could be interesting. Do you think it's easier or more difficult to find love today than it was, say, 25 years ago? Hmm. Okay, I'm going to be honest. I just woke up like 15 minutes ago. I had a late <laughs> night last night. You're asking me the hard-hitting questions. Yeah. <clears throat> I would say that in some... I'm going to give you the dumbest, the most funny. It's like in some ways it's a lot easier. In some ways it's a lot harder. Um, I think it's, it's easier in that you're connected to more people today than anybody could have ever been connected to in the past, which is amazing, right? If you were like an introverted stable boy in the past, you couldn't hop on a social media app and you know talk to however many girls you're able, you're able to match with. That being said, I think the standards and what people expect in relationships has dramatically grown. So it, it, it in one way, it's like easier to meet people, but in other ways, it's a lot harder. So like something that I talk about for men is that probably like 50, 60, 70 years ago, as long as you could like work a stable job and you weren't a total lunatic, you'd probably get a wife because women need to go and find men, marry them and have a family. That was kind of like the path for everybody. But now that people have so many more paths available to them in life, it's the, I guess the value add for a relationship is it's competing with a lot of other things. Now, so you, you say that like women had to get married and stuff. What do you mean by that? Um, I mean, before women were as educated and before women had as much a place in the workforce, you're like, if you're a woman and you're like 30, you're not married with a kid. Like, what are you doing with your life? Because you're not really like, they're, they're just like the, the pursuit of career and the pursuit of education wasn't as common of a thing. So it seems mm -hmm. like that was kind of like the expected path for women to go down. And if your expected path is to be like a housewife and a caretaker, well, obviously you have to pair off with a man to do that because he's going to be the one that's working. So I feel like that was like a more standard path, like a more accepted kind of people were kind of pushed in that direction in the past. So, I mean, in your opinion, then, with the push for marriage that we saw in the past, was that mainly driven by women? Um, oh, that it's like a, it's like asking like which wheel of a car is the most important. I mean, it was probably driven by women to some extent, but it was also driven by women because it's also like what men wanted. But it was also driven probably by men because it's what society needed, and then like families pushed you towards it, and then like that was the social expectation. Like, I don't know if I could ever say there's like one force there that was pushing in a direction. I would say that. Um, I guess if you look at it from a, uh, I'm trying not to go, I don't, I'm trying not to be too woke before one o'clock, uh, but if you're looking at it from like a patriarchal point of view or whatever, um, I, like social factors are pushing everybody in certain directions. In some ways it's nice, in some ways it's not nice. Um, 
I guess in one sense, it's nice that people kind of had simpler paths and therefore you don't have as much decision paralysis or, you know, like choice fatigue where it's like, fuck, did I make the right choice or blah, blah, blah. Cause these are things we're just kind of expected for you. Um, I think that women probably enjoyed parts of it and didn't like parts of it. I think men probably enjoyed a lot of parts of it. Didn't like parts of it. Um, yeah. We're gonna, okay, we're gonna, so if you want me to go into deeper on anything we can, but my answer is going to be very macro level right now. So no, that that's good. Okay. So then it's not necessarily easier or harder today. Would you, Steven, do you prefer being or, or 50 years ago or 100 years wait, ago? Wait, wait, wait. Oh, my God. You just froze for a second. I thought you were thinking of the deepest question ever. Hold on. Oh, no. So, yeah, repeat that last thing. Sorry, the thing okay, froze for a second. Okay, so <laughs> would – okay, assuming you're Steven, you're looking for love now, mm-hmm. are you happy to be in 2024 or would you have preferred to be in the past 25 years ago or maybe even 100 years ago? I mean, I like this era now 100%. But also, if I was born, you know, 50 years ago, maybe I would feel you different. You probably wouldn't know different. Yeah, of course, yeah. But hey, so maybe, I, in the, maybe in the 40s, I would have been a Nazi, you know? Who knows? <laughs> um, <laughs> I, yeah, I mean, I definitely prefer this era now. But yeah, I mean, we're products of our time. So who know, who's to say I would have felt 50 or 100 years ago? Yeah. That's interesting because I feel like from what I'm hearing from my audience, for men at least, there are a lot of guys who are saying that they are very blackpilled about what the current dating situation looks like. And I, from what I understand, it's because, I mean, I think nowadays the power has kind of shifted in terms of relationship dynamics. A a lot of people think that women are basically holding the keys, not just to sex, which traditionally they always have, but also to relationships and that if you can't even get in the door for that first initial date, then as a man, your power to technically control relationship status, that doesn't even exist to begin with for a lot of men. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. The ba- the balance has swung really dramatically. My kind of like explanation for this, um, I'm going to trigger the fuck out of your audience today. My explanation for all of this is um, I view there's like a basket of feminine traits and there's a basket of masculine traits. And for a long time, religious people and red pillars and everybody's kind of coped that like, oh, feminine traits are beautiful and masculine traits are good and they complement each other. But I think deep down, we all know that's fucking bullshit. Um, all the masculine traits are really fucking cool. Uh, having honor, having integrity, being a provider, you know, ca- uh, being able to you know stand up for your enemies and for your family and blah blah. These are like really cool things that everybody wants to do. Um, I think we kind of deluded ourselves into thinking that like, only men want that. Like women want to be feminine and elegant and caretakers and breastfeeders, and that's like the best thing ever. Not to say that these things are bad. I'm just saying that like in the box of masculine traits, there's like 80% of these traits are things that everybody wants. Nobody wants to be weak. Nobody wants to have to be taken care of. So I think as time has gone on, as women have gotten access to birth control and have got access to education and then careers, I think that what we've seen is women have kind of like always had this feminine side. They've done a really good job at growing their masculine side as well. And men have had their masculine side and that's it. And there hasn't really been a push for men to encompass like more uh, intellectual feminine traits. And so you've got this era now where women have become these like Voltrons of like all these different powerful forces. And now when you're a woman and it's 2024 and you're looking into the dating field, and you're like, okay, well, who should I date? Well, you don't need a guy for sex because you're birth control. You don't, you're not gonna get pregnant every time. And you don't need a guy for money. You can work your own job. So now the value add for a guy has to be really high because before I was like, listen, do you wanna be a fucking unwed, uh, unpregnant loser at 30? Or do you wanna get with me because I've got a paycheck? And now if you're a guy, a paycheck's not enough, you know? And yeah, I think women with like jobs and birth control are like kryptonite to guys who can only offer their wallet, which is the only thing guys have ever really been trained to do. 
So I think, right. it's hard, I, I think it's hard for guys right now because socially they're just not trained and nobody wants to, to, to train them or learn that because why feminist stuff sucks. When you think of feminist stuff, you think of blue haired, you know, sissy, progressive crybaby guys. It doesn't seem like a cool thing, you know? Yeah. Right. No, even feminists themselves are not lining up for the male feminist ally, like cuttlefish person who's no, but mm-hmm. it's kind of interesting because I feel like there are a lot of red pill guys who strangely enough share the same opinion that like historically men were kind of there to be the breadwinners but now that we no longer need men as women to be the breadwinners it's kind of like torpedoed relationships i feel like as a woman which will be my trump card throughout this stream um that kind of overlook like yes obviously there was the financial aspect to it but i don't think that's enough i don't think that can treat completely explains why we're seeing like marriage rates decline because i think there's there's a lot of women out there who even if it were let's say you know a, a billionaire guy you know 50 shades of gray super attractive whatever they still want someone who's actually like a good father and someone who's caring and an actual an actual partner and i think when there are a lot of guys who complain like oh well it's i women just aren't interested in in dating nowadays it's like yes yes we are women still very much are interested in partners but i feel like men are kind of at a loss as to how to relate emotionally to women in that regard i think that um we can die we can also dive in on any of these things on a deeper level i i don't know if i would agree with the the women want like a good father thing. Again, I think the expectations for parenthood were way, way, way different back then. Uh, I'm borrowing heavily from my own household experience, which I hear echoed a lot. Um, and then I'm borrowing heavily from like sitcoms at the time. But I feel like the the vast majority of the parenting was left up to the woman. And I feel like for men, the, the meme was always like, they go to work, they come home, you leave them alone in the evening, and then hopefully they kind of like play with you on the weekends. And that was like mm-hmm. basically it in terms of expectations. And then like e- even, man, even like Boy Meets World and stuff. Although I think that father was a little bit more emotionally in tune with um, with Corey and Sean, but I feel like the 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 meme was always like, "Go ask your mom, go talk to your mom, go talk to your mom about this." Do it, go, you know, go. I just gotta get leave you blah blah blah. And I feel like that was kind of unironically the standard. I think for a lot of deaths at the time, and I think that the expectations for co-parenting, um, the expectations for emotional involvement of the father, I feel like those have all increased pretty dramatically over time. Um, I, I really do feel like in the past the big. Uh, I feel like we over romanticize a lot of things like like, oh, God, I don't know how old you are now, but I'm, I'm 35 now. And now I'm old enough to where I see lower generations talk about the older generations and I see how fucking stupid it is. And I know I've done this when I was in my 20s. But the um, the uh, some girl on, on Twitter was tweeting out. She's um, what was she? Um, I think she was like a she was a Gen Zer. She tweets out and she's like. This is bullshit. I work at Walmart 40 hours a week. Did you see this video? Do you know what I'm talking yes. about? Yeah, I, yeah. I she's crying the car and she's like, 20 years ago uh, on minimum wage, you could afford blah, 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 blah. And it's like, 20 years ago, I worked at McDonald's for 5.15 an hour. You can afford shit. What the fuck? Yeah, you had, you had to have a roommate. Yeah, yeah, you weren't, I mean, that's, mm-hmm. I was on like the federal minimum when I was in college for sure. I didn't have yeah. my own like one or two bedroom apartment. No way. So I just, I feel like when people sometimes when they talk about the past, I feel like they romanticize the fuck out of a lot where they're like, oh, the average man was like an emotionally stable guy that worked a hard job, white picket fence, good union work, mom had three kids, dinner on the table all the time. I think relationships were probably a lot more dysfunctional back then than we realize. Uh, You know, how many people were on different types of drugs that were even legal back then, Uh, all the sexual and physical abuse, et cetera, that wasn't even reported because it was kind of expected. Uh, Also, we didn't have fucking cameras in everybody's fucking face to record every single mistake that you made uh whereas today we can highlight all of it so um yeah okay let's let's talk about the the father thing because i Uh feel like you're right i mean 
I do think we romanticize the past in, in a lot of ways, specifically mm -hmm. on, on the right. Um, there are a lot of studies that show that millennial fathers are way more involved than their parents' generation were. And I think that's an actually good thing. Um, I, I, I don't think that that necessarily changes what I mean. Like just so because women now have the means to provide for themselves financially and everything like that, I think it means we're still looking for a man who can be there to provide for us, but it looks different. So, you know, if, if we are going to be, you know, out in the workforce ourselves, if the financial burden is now on two people instead of just one, I think it makes sense that for both people to be giving 100%, which is what a marriage should be, right? It's not 50-50, it's 100-100. It means that the, the father should also be you know, way more involved than he was in the past. Not to mention also, it's just your kid and you should you should want that, like, mm -hmm. regardless of how the, the working distribution is. Yeah, but I think the issue is that it, there's gonna be some lag time there because our fathers didn't have that training. Um, mm -hmm. And then our fathers, like, I don't think, I love my, I love both my parents. We're very, very, very different people, okay? But I love both my parents. I don't think I have, ever had an emotional conversation with my dad ever and not for lack of trying like i love him he's a, he's a cool guy you know i have a lot of respect for him but that's just he's just not wired that way at all and i think that was normal for like a lot of boomer parents um i know a lot of people in in my age bracket who for instance like their parents never talked to them about sex a single time in their entire life because it was too much of an awkward conversation or stories about girls that have their first period and their moms never warned them um in terms of like the level of involvement for their they would just be in class and you know your fucking uterus is falling out like holy shit i'm dying and your mom's like oh that's cute it's like it's not um so yeah the um I also, I, I kind of feel like on that in terms of expectations for people changing over time, because the masculine traits are always so cool and because women have kind of wanted to gravitate towards that, um, not necessarily in the super warrior way, but just like in being able to have a job and being able to make choices for yourself and not necessarily being chained down all the time. Uh, I don't think there's like a good voice out there telling men like, hey, it is good to be able to hold a conversation and, you know, be emotionally receptive and responsive to somebody while you're talking to them. It is good to be able to go on a first date and not treat the girl like your mom because it's the first time you've had somebody be emotionally reflective to you in your entire life. Now you're going to trauma dump every single thing you can on them. Uh, it is good. Listen, I, or I don't know if you've heard the term weaponized incompetence. Like I'll watch dudes, you know, put together entire computer systems and then be like, I can't work the washer or dryer because I'm going to break anything. Can you please do it? I can't do any housework at all. Like, come on, bro, you can do this. Yeah, yeah. no, I've, I've actually, I had an ex-boyfriend who like, literally told me that he screwed up doing something in the kitchen so that I wouldn't ask him in the future to do it and I would that's, just do it. Yeah. I've done yeah, that no, I think <laughs> in the yeah, past. I, think but, but, yeah. I mean it's it's funny that you you know, you kinda mention the I guess willingness to have those emotional conversations. So my dad, I'm really close to my dad still. Like we do movie reviews together on my like Media Holic channel. He's great. But that's he's awesome. also an Asian father. So he is you know, there's there's a difference in, in the way that emotional vulnerability is between the cultures. And he's always been very, like, happy to tell me he loves me. Same thing with his granddaughter, my, my daughter now. He always says, Grandpa loves you, Grandpa's here for you, all that. But there is, like, a, a level of, I guess, not being comfortable with those more emotional topics. And, I, you know, I, I'm not necessarily sure that being a good or strong father figure necessarily has to equate to having those more emotional or vulnerable moments. I think even like if we look cross-culturally, there are a lot of cultures that have very strong father figures, very involved families, you know, very different than the American boomer version of Homer Simpson, where it's like, oh, go ask your mom. You know, I'm, I'm actually just an avatar here after work and I'm, I'm not really gonna be hands-on with the kids that don't have that same level of expectation of emo emotional vulnerability. So like, I, 
I'm not saying emotional vulnerability from men is a bad thing, but I'm just, I don't think that we necessarily even need more of that to have more involved fathers, if that makes sense. I think that, so I would say, I think that emotional vulnerability is really important for fathers, but I would say that um, the way that fathers and mothers, or, or on a really broad level, the way that men and women express and experience emotions is can be a bit different. And emotional vulnerability for a man might look a little bit different than emotionally, emotional vulnerability for a woman. I think that when you have, especially young boys, I think it, it it's... There's a different feeling. Well, I don't. I shouldn't have to explain this here because you probably you probably feel the same way about looking up to. Um, I'm thinking like in school, like older men versus older women. If you're a young boy, being able to look up to a, an adult male that is giving you like guidance or you know some sort of life lessons or whatever, it's it just it feels different. You feel like you connect with it more, synergize with it more than if like a like I'm thinking like an older teacher who's a woman is like giving you the same advice. It just it feels like there's like a a, a better connection there. I, I guess it feels like the types of emotional struggles, the growing pains, uh, the experiences that men have versus women. It's nice to have the same sex figure there because they have a more shared foundation, I guess, of experiences to talk to. Um, I think, yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I want to ask you about OnlyFans and how that's changing the romantic landscape today. But first, I do have a big thank you to the sponsor of today's video, a sponsor I'm so excited to have. Factor. Uh, so I've actually been using Factor for like a year and a half, if not more. Uh, the first time I ever had a Factor meal was we were home from the hospital. And obviously, my husband and I we were super busy, had a newborn. We were able through Factor to get fresh, healthy meals within like two minutes of microwaving. And that's it. We didn't have to order out. It was right there delivered to our door. And eventually, we became a loyal subscriber. We've been with them ever since. So Factor Basically, they're delicious, ready-to-eat meals that make eating better every day easy. You'll have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including keto, calorie-smart, vegan, and veggie, and more. And there's even more to enjoy with over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons, including things like smoothies, breakfast, and desserts. Uh, you know, and they say two-minute meals. I can microwave mine for like a minute and a half, and it's totally fine. So the idea that you can go to your fridge, minute and a half later, have a healthy, fresh meal that you didn't have to order out for, that it's not just garbage, that's amazing. Uh, especially if you're trying to lose weight, Factor is one of the easiest ways that I found to do it. You can also sign up and save. They've done the math. Factor is less expensive than takeout, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. It is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast upscale options done easily. Flexible as well. Get as much or as little as you need by choosing six to 18 meals per week. Okay, there's no prep, no mess meals. So head to factormeals.com slash Chen50 and use code Chen50 to get 50% off. Again, that is code Chen50 at factormeals.com slash Chen50 to get 50% off. Guys, I hope you do subscribe because again, I love these guys. I want to keep them happy. So a huge thank you to Factor for sponsoring this video. Um, okay, let's talk about OnlyFans. Um, how how common do you think OnlyFans is amongst the average population of, let's say, women in their 20s? Because I've had men comment and say, oh, it seems like every woman's on OnlyFans. I don't think that's true, but I think it's fair to say it's definitely more than it ever has been. Like, basically women involved in sex work. Obviously, OnlyFans itself as a platform is pretty new. I have no idea. I wish I wish there were solid numbers on this because the, the perception is so different between different people. Um, like... There are, if, if I'm hanging out with somebody who's like kind of a normal human being, a normie, if you will, um, who just like goes to school or, um, you know, is like working and is whatever, like some of them have like heard of OnlyFans because uh, they're kind of like familiar with internet culture and that's about it. And then I'll talk with other people who are like, oh yeah, like me and like all three of my friends are on OnlyFans and we all like do this, blah, 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 blah. I truly
really have no idea. I feel like it's hard to get a, a fix on it like anecdotally because mm -hmm. our friend groups are going to heavily dictate uh, people's inclinations to go off and do this type of content. You know, like if you were to ask, you know, if you were to ask me if I was a, if I was an idiot, you were to ask me how many people do YouTubers streaming. I'd be like, I don't know, probably like ten percent of the population are like YouTubers. Right, streamers, because that's but your like, social group. Yeah, exactly. But yeah. it's self-selecting. <laughs> yeah, and I feel I mean, like if you ask. I feel like if you ask the average like red pillar or people that are like really far in one direction, like how many girls do you think of an OnlyFans? I think a lot of them would legitimately say probably 20 to 40%. I think a lot of right. people would say this for women under 30. I'm like, that number is probably really high, but maybe it's not. I don't know. I, it'd be nice to actually get like data on that, but I don't know if that's ever possible to get. Yeah. It, it would be nice because I mean, I'm, I'm in a social circle where everyone that I talk to on a day-to-day -day basis, we're all in, you know, perpetually online. We all heard of OnlyFans, but I was on the whatever podcast. That was my first time ever meeting someone who had an OnlyFans account. Like mm -hmm. I, all of my female friends and my friends are basically only women. None of us have OnlyFans. I mean, I do feel like there is a selection bias. So do you think that the idea that we are so heavily focused on, and I do this too, I've done a ton of videos about OnlyFans. I think it's fascinating. Do you think that's actually almost skewing the perception that it's it's more common that it is and therefore hurting gender relations? Would it hurt gender relations? I don't know if it would hurt gender relations necessarily, unless you're like- Do you think humor. OnlyFans hurts gender relations? Why, it would depend on how many people are doing it, right? <laughs> why, why would that matter? Or just like as a concept? As a, hmm. Okay, here, th okay, so here's something that I have a hard time sorting through. I, and I don't know what's, I, I, it's just hard to know. So one of the arguments that I hear a lot of men put forth when it comes to OnlyFans is that OnlyFans have corrupted women's brains, OnlyFans is social media, because women are able to get infinite validation from men who wanna fuck them whenever they want, and that was never a thing in the past. But then when I talk to especially older women, um, what they'll say is, that's not true. Every single woman since she, since she turns about 12 has had infinite offers for dick for the entirety of her life. Every single guy you meet like will potentially at least want to fuck you, if not more. Um, so that that attention and, and that type of like validation has literally always been there. And the internet stuff doesn't really change it that much other than it adds kind of like a new dimension to it, which the internet has for like everything for everybody. So has OnlyFans like skewed or changed perceptions in relationships? I mean, I would say probably not, but if it has, I would say that it has insofar as like the internet in general has skewed and changed all of our perceptions about relationships. But backing up to that thing we said before, if like 50% of girls did OnlyFans, um, maybe that would affect it a lot more negatively. Um, it's, it's hard to say, but I will say something that's a little bit annoying is that it felt like porn on TV was okay, porn in magazines was okay, porn in video games was okay, porn on the internet was okay. But for some reason, as soon as women started to like kind of control it and earn all the money themselves, now it's literally like a society ending plague that needs to be ended as soon as possible. I find well, that I a guess, little bit suspect. Yeah, go ahead. I guess it depends on who you ask. Like porn on the internet and on TV and in magazines was okay. I think there's a lot of people that would say it was not okay. But I mean, even even if we say that, all right, people weren't as upset about porn and magazines as they are things like OnlyFans, I think there is, it's reasonable to say that, you know, the the abundance of something like pornography does matter. Like there's a difference between saying you can buy pornographic material if you go out, if you buy a magazine and it's just kind of like, it's relatively vanilla. And it also, it, it, you know, usually if you're buying something like that, you're going to be consuming the same content and you're less likely to be desensitized to it versus what we have going on right now. Like, I think it's fair to say that how we're dealing with pornography as a culture, as a society 
is not something that we as a species have had to deal with. Like, what does your sexual drive look like when you basically have anything you could ever think of and a lot of things you would never even imagine at your fingertips 24-7? Like, I think it's reasonable to say that OnlyFans has been an escalation of a problem we've been seeing for a long time now, for generations, which is that the increased availability of pornography. Like, I think... I don't think it's fair to say this is just OnlyFans specific, but it's just online pornography in general and OnlyFans as part of that. It absolutely, I think, is is a different problem than generations previously have had to deal with. And I think it, like, I think it does contribute to worsening relations between men and men because I feel women and men because I feel like men more so now are seeing women like literally as a commodity that they can buy, where it's not just oh, pornography in general is available to me. This woman's nudes specifically are probably available to me i've had like people online agencies like reach out and ask if you have only fans like when did that become socially acceptable to ask a woman hey is is there pornography of you i can buy because that's what's happening now it's crazy i feel like there there are parts i agree with, there's parts i disagree with um so one of the things I said before is I wonder how much OnlyFans is a problem versus just the internet in general. Like I do agree that OnlyFans is kind of presenting and porn, maybe online porn in general is presenting kind of like unique challenges to people today. But when I brought up the the thing that OnlyFans makes me really, it really makes me really suspect about people's intentions is because while people have always had a problem with porn, it's pretty rare outside of like very religious communities. And even then that, it wasn't the most common thing to find like young men that are these staunch advocates against pornography outside of very religious communities. And I feel like that's driven by something a little bit more than care and concern for fellow men and women. I feel like there's a bit of jealousy or a little bit of envy or the idea that like this fucking random chick that doesn't know anything is able to make all this money and, and fuck this person, blah, blah, blah. I feel like there's a, a, an envy or a jealousy driven aspect there. I gotta be wrong, this is a feeling I have. Um, maybe, maybe you're right, but also, mm -hmm. sorry about the runny nose, but also I feel like with young men specifically, and it's true, like now in a way that probably we haven't seen i mean maybe since the crusades I, I we have like young men taking up the banner of like sexual morality right they're policing yeah. these thoughts and stuff i i feel like it is self-interested in a way i think for a lot of these young men they're looking at these women and they're they're thinking man i would love to date you but i i I don't want to date you as an OnlyFans model so i think there's like you know there's this combat condemnation but it's also born out of this is what women in my generation are increasingly looking up to and becoming, and they don't want that. They want their dating prospects, I guess, to not be on OnlyFans, which I don't think is unreasonable. I've heard this narrative before. I have never met a guy that would even be in the same league or have the opportunity to date a girl that's successful on OnlyFans and like turns her down. I've never seen that happen in my life. It might, that might be a thing, but it feels like generally the circle of people that are complaining about these types of women have a zero overlap with like the actual people that could date these types of women. That just is generally the case. But I, I'm being a little bit uh, mean there when I say that, but that just seems well, to be the case. But I mean, there are, yeah. but there are, you know, I, I know the type of person that you're referring to who mm -hmm. would maybe like be very judgmental con condemning them, but also like, let's be real if, if that woman we're like, hey, do you want to be my boyfriend to jump on that? But there are, I mean, people like Michael Knowles, Matt Walsh, they're happily married, they're fathers. I think there is a, a version of a man out there who, yes, for, you know, moral reasons is against it. 
Um, yeah, that's true. But I mean, like Knowles and Walsh are no offense to to your ilk. Uh, these are very very far right people, so they probably would pair off with also women that share like similar social values. So I would hope that if you meet a woman, like for instance, if you meet a woman in that goes to your church, that's part of your community, you start talking about she has an OnlyFans, that'd probably be a really fucking big deal, and I imagine that would probably not be okay. Um, so yeah, I definitely. I mean, yeah, there's gonna be some people that definitely have no preference for that at all. Uh, backing up for just real quick on the OnlyFans thing, um, something again that I have a really hard time sorting out is like you mentioned that OnlyFans and online porn presents like a unique challenge to people today and the impacts on us. I don't disagree. I just wonder sometimes how much the internet has changed everything. And then from the internet, people can pick and choose like whatever their particular pet project is to say this is actually the worst thing when in reality the broad thing is like the internet. So like a long time ago, it was there was a guy called Jack Thompson who was attorney that hated violence in video games and he like went on a crusade against it and he was like this is where all the Ill all the problems of the world are coming from video games um or you know you've got people on twitter today and you know white supremacy and nazi talkers the worst thing in the internet and it's empowering everybody to turn everybody secretly into nazis or for red pillars it's only fans has ruined the modern woman and now women you know eat hot chip and they can't even cook anymore and blah 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 there are some things about the internet that we know are really bad and there's things we don't know and i feel like we harp more on the latter than the former so for instance, for OnlyFans, and even for porn's impacts on relationships, I did a debate a while ago on this. It's really hard to find data on like, how does porn actually affect us? Right. Um, I feel like there are a lot of people that make a lot of really strong claims that the data doesn't support, not to say that it doesn't have really big impacts on us. It might just be really hard to study. But one thing I do know is something that's really well-researched is social media is horrible for young people, especially teenage girls. It yes. fucks your mind so much. And people will come out and say things like, well, I'm just against OnlyFans and porn because I don't like to come out of my women or I don't like how women are making this blah, 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 blah. Okay, well, why not say something about like the horrible impacts of social media on students? Because uh, it's a really big deal. And that's really well-researched, super empirically validated. I feel like the selective focus, again, is one of those things that makes me wonder, yeah. And, and the fact that it's like, this is like the internet is mind-fucking all of us. And there are different facets of the internet that might focus, but it's not just because it's porn. Or it's not just because it's, thing. it's because now we're like connected to a billion different things at the fingertips, you know, every single second of the day. And that's like having a lot of wide reaching impacts on our lives. No, I think, I think that's, that's fair. I, I want to get, I, I will go the super chats guys. Um, yeah. I, I remember a, a few years ago, someone online, I posted a photo of myself and they said that the, my filtrum was too long. So it's the, the, the distance between your nose and your lips. And oh, yeah, I, I definitely I noticed that even... when I joined today. I was like, oh, my God. <laughs> but that's the thing. Like, I, had ne I had woken up that morning, not a care in the world about my philtrum. And now I, I'm, like, introduced to this new complex. And it's like that for, for women. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think it's fair to say that the Internet in, in general is a problem, social media especially. And I feel like OnlyFans, it's almost like the social media of pornography. So you have all of the potential issues that might come with porn use plus social media. And it's together. Mm -hmm. at the same time um yeah we have be. the access uh, is also a lot harder too did do you talk about family stuff at all or no i want to family stuff yeah yeah uh sorry yeah. sg199 says oh, yeah, women selling themselves at, at a push of a button i feel like that in and of itself is reason to talk about OnlyFans because like the possibility of becoming a porn star was always out there for women the possibility of becoming a prostitute always out there but i think OnlyFans has made it that much easier where the lower bar to entry has actually incentivized women to to give it out, to give it a shot. I mean, you probably already have a webcam, a phone. There's nothing stopping you from it. And you know, I don't think as a society we should be just banking on the fact that it's too hard to become a sex worker for women to not do it. <laughs> like, there should be other reasons why women don't do it. But because OnlyFans took that step of lowering the bar, 
uh, I think that is why it's it's getting a lot of attention and criticism from people who are like kind of right leaning or conservative or against <clears throat> sex work, including, uh, I guess, sex negative feminists. Yeah, I mean, I don't necessarily disagree that it makes things easier, but like, is it not at all concerning, for instance, that I'm pretty sure when you pull kids now, their number one job that they want to be is a YouTuber? <laughs> Isn't that I think a little bit scary? I think that's very concerning. I mean, like, yeah. I, like even from my side, I told him, like, bro, you're going to college. Like, you're not going to, you're not, you're not skipping college. You're going to go to school. You're going to get your fucking degree. Okay. You're not doing this shit right out of high school. Um, yeah. I, I just think that, um, yeah, it's, it's, I do agree that there are problems with internet stuff because it's so ubiquitous now. Like, when I was growing up, the things that they would always say to parents are, hey, monitor your kid's behavior, monitor your kid's uh, internet activity, which I think when we were growing up, I think was possible. Well, actually, wait, I don't know your age. Again, I'm 35. I'm, I'm 29. Oh, uh, okay. So yeah, it was um, definitely possible. Like I remember yeah. when I was a kid, I I grew up with dial-up internet. It was like, do you yeah. need to make a call today? I would like to surf online. So 100%. And you've got like one family computer that yeah. is uh, in the family room. Yeah. Today, God, bro, kids get like iPads at school. Their library books are like connected to the Wi-Fi. It, like everything is insane today. You cannot, kids will find whatever and there's no way to keep them off of anything because you could ban every single internet device in your household and they might have a friend on the bus that has like an extra phone from a sibling that they just give their, you know, give your child and you have no control over it whatsoever. So um, well, I, yeah. I would disagree you have no control it's really hard though because i you know we're hoping to homeschool i have extended family who their daughter is like 12 she doesn't have uh you know a smartphone or anything like that well guess what her friend does and so i mean basically through that proxy you you can't really control and that's why i'm not against talking to kids about this and having like upfront conversations hey there's going to be stuff online mm -hmm. you know I'm, I'm not trying to control you but at the same time you're i you're my steward, like you're my ward. I want what's best for you. And there are things that you're just developmentally not prepared for. That doesn't mean it's always going to be the case, but like, I feel like you have to have those conversations as a parent. Like you can't just be like, Oh, it'll probably be fine. Like, no, your kid is definitely looking up like hentai and weird tentacle stuff. Like you don't, don't assume they're not. Yeah. Maybe they thought they, they were goblins. Um, <laughs> I think that the, um, I think that the, one thing, one of the reasons why people like Ben Shapiro, or Jordan Peterson, or the Red Pill, one of the reasons why they got so big is because people on the left refused to talk to men, especially white men, about any of their issues um, because they were white supremacists, because they were, you know, patriarchy and blah, blah, blah. So they're like, fuck you, I'm not going to talk to you. Screw you. So what do they do? They all went to the right and they were like, oh, well, I'm just going to listen to these guys because if you're not going to talk to us, they will. And I feel like sometimes conservatives or people on the right or people with these concerns, I feel like sometimes people make a similar uh, mistake where they look at the stuff online and what's really happening is I think when kids are going online and they're finding stuff, I think they're filling voids. They're they're getting information that they're not otherwise getting in their life. And one of my, not to uh, get into a huge culture wars battle or whatever, but one of the big issues I've had with conservatives, especially growing up, especially growing up in a Catholic household, going to a Catholic school, um, where if you got caught having sex with anybody, you were expelled, uh, even outside of class, uh, just for my background. No, it, it, when really wasn't, it wasn't just inside class sex that would expel you. No, 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 no. It was like where like if teachers had like a credible reason to think that, for instance, like a woman had an abortion or whatever, you were expelled from high school. It was Jesuit high school. All girls in their schools, all boys in our school. It was very, very, very strict. Um, it, one of the things that is irritating is it feels like sometimes for conservatives, the answer is like no drugs, no sex, no bad things on the Internet. Abstinence only and that's it. And boom. And when I think when that's like your template for dealing with your child, 
what happens is, is if the kid doesn't get any information realistically from the parents about the world, they're going to explore on their own. And now you've seeded that teaching ground to their friends at school, to porn stars on the internet, to crazy people on YouTube like me. And you've completely lost the ability to mold or shape any of their thoughts going forward because you have like a zero tolerance policy and everything. And I think it's been a big mistake from parents in the past and even today to some extent. Yeah? I don't think necessarily that zero tolerance is the problem. I think zero communication, zero trust, uh-huh. that's the problem. So I'm, I'm not somebody who is a just appeal to authority type of person. I, I, I don't want that. And I think if you're trying to raise a child who's a critical thinker, you don't want to be a parent who is always saying, because I said so. so oh, me, yeah. That, I, I think that is the weakest thing. And I would never accept that from a boss. I would never accept that from a government. So I would not accept, expect my child to expect that from me. But I think there are a lot of parents, yes, including religious parents, who they do think that because I said so is justification enough where it is not. So I think we need to be clear with kids like, okay, why don't I want my daughter to do drugs? Well, I don't want to. I don't want my daughter to do drugs because especially as a young child, your brain is developing. These are substances that can harm your brain, even if it's something like marijuana that could be okay later, right? There's uh-huh. also reasons like... Some of these things are addictive. They could actually end up chemically controlling your life. Like, I think we can, it's okay to say, I don't want my kid to do X, Y, or Z, but you need to have a valid reason. And I think you need to be articulating that to your child where, you know, Catholic schools, I come from that background as well. There is often no attempt to articulate why that's bad. And it's the same thing with sex as well. Like, you know, STDs, pregnancy, just never mind regret you know, doing something impulsively because you're young and maybe not being able to take that back later. That enough, I think, is a reason to be like, hey, you know, you don't rush, don't rush into this. Uh, but that's not really something that's talked about. I think the the authoritative <clears throat> approach from conservatives, that is damaging when you're dealing with, I mean, really anybody, but especially young people. Yeah, I, I yeah, I 1 billion percent agree. It feels like if you don't have a re- if you don't give your child like a realistic outlook on things that are going on, then as si- the problem is if they discover anything that breaks the mold, they're not going to trust you on anything. And and like I said earlier, they're just going to look to other people for guidance. I don't, I don't know if you guys had dare growing up, but I heard so many crazy things about like alcohol and marijuana that like these substances were so unbelievably harmful and toxic and terrible for you. And then it's like you go through high school and it's like okay, well there's a 17 year old guy now and he smoked like every single day you know, uh, of being an upperclassman. Um, so how is this kid not dead yet if these drugs are so horrible and I've been told this for so long? And, and then, yeah, and then you don't just trust anything, you know? Yeah. Um, so we, we do super chats. Uh, Myth Informed Milwaukee. Roseanne was a good example of working class families in the 90s. Uh, if that's Sean behind the account, we were just talking about you, buddy. Um, Destiny and I will both be at the Vulcan in Austin, uh, April 27th, it is, I believe. So check out tickets for that event. Marriage causes divorce. I don't think many guys are wired for emotional conversations. Some guys are on the spectrum or introverted. Men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. Well, I mean, it kind of I'm of the belief that there's been an explosion in like autism diagnoses, not necessarily because people are that much different than they were, let's say, 50 years ago. But it's because we've basically tried to medicalize men's personalities. Like I hear a lot of the descriptions of how you might know you're on the spectrum. and I'm just like, that's that's men, though. Um, and that's okay. That's You don't have to be emotional as a person. It's okay to be a man. I don't know how um, much I would agree with that take. We're going to have to jump down the medical okay. rabbit hole. Like, you're a man. Like, and I, I hear this from women like all the time. Like, I think my mm-hmm. husband's on the spectrum. He doesn't understand like my emotions. Like, I have to explain these to him. It's like, he's just a man. You know? This is- and obviously, autism is real. I'm not saying it's mm-hmm. not. But I feel like women are used to a certain level of emotional communication and awareness that is not realistic for a lot of men. 
I wonder, but I wonder if the problem is, is it not realistic or does nobody even think it's worth pursuing? This is like an experience that I've had because I've talked to um, a lot of different types of women. Um, if, if I'm talking to a really far left, like wokey woman, okay, if I'm up in Portland, if I'm hanging out in Seattle, um, I had a, I had a, <laughs> I had a woman from Portland once tell me that she actually thought it was really cool when I opened the door for her and I opened my car door for her. Um, I also have a very aggressive and edgy personality. And for whatever reason, I guess the guys that she associates with in Portland are not like that at all. So really basic, like chivalrous things, like having a somewhat like masculine demeanor was something that she really enjoyed. And she felt like for like wokey progressive guys, she didn't get that at all. And that's kind of the stereotype online that like, oh, like really far left, like guys are so weak and blah, blah, blah. And they're not masculine at all. And they might be lacking an, an aspect of masculinity. That could be true. But something I don't hear mentioned as much is if I talk to conservative people, um, talking to a woman who's only talked to guys that are super conservative her whole life, to be able to talk to a guy that can actually hold a conversation, uh, you know, that like takes an interest in like her hobbies or things she wants to do in life or is capable of like having a back and forth or has some level of emotional intelligence or can do some level of consoling. Like these are things are like, holy shit, I didn't even know men were capable of doing this. I thought I could only talk to my girlfriends about this stuff. This is the nicest thing ever. I feel like people have this issue where they go off into like one part of the, the political spectrum and then they, they craft and mold their entire personality around it rather than trying to like have a really healthy collection of different types of traits i think every single person should have a really high degree of like masculine and feminine traits and i think that these two things play off each other really well too um in my opinion yeah i i, don't, I wonder sometimes because people say like what you just like oh well men are just all kind of like autistic i mean do they really have to be i don't think that's the case i feel like that's well, just laziness on, on men's parts yeah but yeah i mean i i don't necessarily like associate autism like with not like asking questions or, like having a conversation but i feel like for a lot of women, like if you are expecting your husband to maybe pick up on cues and understand why you might be mad at him, that's what a lot of men like, oh, we're not mind readers. Like from a female perspective, we're not asking you to be a mind reader. It's just that if we were to observe something that would upset our friend, like we would understand the emotions behind it. For a lot of men, you do need to spell it out. And I think that's okay. But I feel like not Can being I, able hold on. to I wanna, read those situations. I wanna fight you on this. Okay, I'm curious, cause you're, okay. you're married now, right? Yes. I, okay, maybe maybe I'm uh, self-reporting or maybe it's just the communism in. I feel like 99% of the time, a guy says some shit where he's like, oh, I didn't know you were fucking mad. You didn't tell me shit. I feel like what's actually happening is you definitely know. When your woman is mad, you fucking know when she's mad. Absolutely. No, you want to know what exactly. They know when we're mad, what? but they won't understand sometimes why we're mad. No, no. It's not that they don't understand why they're mad. It's that they don't want to talk to you about it because they don't want to get in trouble. So what they'll do is they're like, oh shit, okay, well, she's mad. Well, I'm going to be on my fucking shit over here. And then eventually something's going to happen with those confrontation. And it's going to be like, okay, what? I don't. I don't know why you're mad. I don't even know what you're mad about. You haven't said anything to me, blah, blah, blah. And the guy might act incredulous, like, well, I'm not sure, blah, blah, blah. But no, he absolutely knows. If he's been dating her for more than two weeks, he knows when she's fucking mad. Okay, and, you, well, you know, dude, that, that's my feeling. And I think sometimes it gets, like, swept William, up in this. I, yeah. I want to hear from you guys. But I feel like a lot of the times, like, it's a man will need to explain, like, I'm mad because you did this, which to me means this. And therefore, this. I've had a lot of conversations like that. And I, I feel like that's way more common with men. Again, like if, if, if that doesn't happen to you, that that's great. I don't know if it's fair to say like just like men as a gender are just kind of like basically feigning ignorance in order to avoid confrontation. I think so. I think everybody does. I think women will do it too in relationships where they'll kind of like um, 
where they'll they'll feign ignorance as well. Maybe um, to use more stereotypical examples, maybe it'll have to do with like sex related stuff, where the husband really wants sex, and the woman will kind of like go to sleep, and she's kind of like angling away from him, and the guy will kind of like rubber touch her, and she'll kind of like roll over, and not blah blah blah, and then like the next morning, the guy will be like, "Hey, I feel like we don't do anything." She's like, "Oh, well, I, you know, it's not like you're trying to make any moves or anything. Like, I didn't even know you wanted yeah, to." The woman knows, like, right? I think we, I think all of us are kind of in some ways like non-confrontational. We kind of like don't call each other out on each other's bullshit because confrontation is difficult and. Yeah, that's just my feeling, but yeah. Okay, we have uh, another one from my, no, Nye BSFP, legal but not encouraged, just like how it used to be when you were a stripper, good in between. I'm guessing that's referring to maybe like pornography or OnlyFans as a whole. Uh-huh. Marriage causes divorce. Cornhub and IG does contribute to relationships and dissatisfaction, but a lot of humans are serially monogamous, not wired for a 50-year marriage. Um, what do you think of that? Because I do have friends from college who I guess are serial monogamous. So they've not been in any one long-term relationship, uh, let's say like 50 years, but they've just kind of gone from like relationship to relationship that is monogamous, but each lasts maybe a max of five years, a Taylor Swift, if you will. Um, I, that I've seen, cause I've done, unfortunately all the, the, is it David Buss, the Evo psych reading on serial monogamy and everything. Uh, when, when evil psych people or evil biology people say we're serially monogamous, I don't think that means that we have a bunch of short relationships. It just means that we tend to be in only one relationship at a time. Um, I think things like like single monogamous uh, one-on-one relationships that go over the course of years or decades, it seems to be the case that that's like our evolutionary, biologically normal or ordinary pattern. Um, but how much of that is like genetically coded into us versus how much was just a result of the tribes we were in is hard to know. So for instance, um, we might say today that people date around a lot more. Well, it might be because it's a lot easier to find a partner that matches you in some ways. It's better than it used to be before. Whereas when you were in tribes of what, like 120 people before, I mean, if you're dating one dude, I mean, how many other guys are there to choose from? You're not going to be upgrading or switching around or picking different guys all the time. There's only going to be so many people. So I think in today's world where you're connected to so many more people and there are so many more options, it, the it's probably harder to be like, fuck, is this the right partner for me? And then unfortunately, so in some ways the right pushes too far because you guys are crazy. And in other ways the left pushes too far because they're crazy. Um, I think sometimes there's too much of a stress put on finding your perfect partner versus um, that's like the left push is find the perfect person for you. And the right push is like, we'll make your relationship perfect. And there's mm-hmm. gotta be a combination of those two things where like you don't just find the perfect relationship, you find a really good partner and then both of you work together on making a really good relationship. And that building of a good relationship is going to overcome even if you find somebody that's a better match for you in the future. Right. Like if I'm married to somebody for five or 10 or 15 years, I might there might be a girl out there that's actually better for me if we would have met 15 years ago. But I've spent 15 years building a relationship with this one woman. I can't overcome that instantly just because I find somebody else that can support me in bot line or something you know, or, or, mm-hmm. or can do some hobby or whatever that I have. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, that that just makes me think of like it, there's this kind of this meme in Christian colleges where it's uh, like ring by ring by spring where it's like you you go there basically to get your MRS degree. So if you're a woman in Christian college, a lot of them literally just going so they can meet men who are college educated, which I'm not mm-hmm. against, like, you know, uh, more useful than a lot of degrees out there. Um, but, you know, just because you are c- both committed to a relationship, that doesn't necessarily mean you should overlook trying to find someone who is more compatible. You can't like, yes, sheer will 
will get you through a relationship, but there are some people who it's going to be easier with. And I know I get, I got flack because my husband and I, like we dated, like we were together for like a year and a half before he proposed or something like that, which I guess in our circles is considered a long time, but I'm not against making sure. A year and and a half was considered a long time? Yes. It was considered a really long time. It was like dragging your, I would get like comments like, you know, the marriage is supposed to last longer than uh, the the dating. (laughs) It's like, okay. Jesus, uh, one of them planning on killing you? My God. <laughs> Chicago um, said, if naked women is pornography for men, is a money to afford a luxurious lifestyle pornography for women? I would say pornography is more pornography for women. Like women do, uh, yeah, especially like uh, if, uh, pornography where women looks different than men, but women use pornography. Women struggle with the same issues with pornography for men as well nowadays. So it's, uh, yeah, I guess uh, covers both genders. Leo 50 Perez, Destiny is a girl's name. Based. Yeah. Uh, extra, there's a difference between dating and marrying. Most guys would have no problem dating an OnlyFans model, but that's as far as it would go. Marrying one is a completely different thing. I think most wouldn't. Um, I guess, I think there's a difference between like sleeping with someone and marrying someone. I think there's a lot of men who, even if, if they're thinking about dating, still wouldn't want to date an OnlyFans model because that's going to involve... I guess a level of emotional attachment and just closeness that they wouldn't necessarily want from someone that they know marriage is just like not a possibility. What do you think? Um, I think there are going to be people that wouldn't, but it's... And obviously all OnlyFans models do get married. Mm -hmm. It's not everybody. Yeah, it's just, it's hard to tell because of the types of people in certain communities. So like, it's, it's, sometimes I have to take a step back and I'd be like, what the the fuck am I arguing right now? Like, it, it sometimes... I, this is gonna be really condescending. I'm so sorry. Um, not to you, but like, like imagine going to you know, imagine I go to pick my son up from school. Okay, he's in seventh grade, and I start like ar- debating all the kids in school, and I'm like arguing about them and like owning them, and I'm like, these guys are so stupid. I feel like that's what it's like going into red pill spaces, and people are telling you like, well, these are what relationships are like. This is who I would date, and blah 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 blah. And this is like a guy with body count zero who's never dated anybody in real life, isn't in his entire life. He had like one girlfriend from Gaia Online when he was like 12, and he's telling me what the ideal relationship looks like. I remember when I was sitting across from Sneeko one time. And he was like, was this when he was 22? And I was asking questions about like what he thought his future relationships or marriage looked like. And he's like, oh, well, you know, like I, I figured out, like I know exactly what women want. It's like, bro, you're 22. How many relationships have you even had? And he was like, I think he told me like 10 or 15. And I'm like, what the fuck are you talking about? What? Those are relationships. Those are DMs. What do you mean? Yeah. 10 or 50 relationships are 22. So it's, it's hard to sort through like what is the real relationship takes? How do people actually feel? Would somebody date an OnlyFans girl? Probably, I think there's definitely a group of people that wouldn't. Um, but there's definitely a larger chunk of people that would that I don't know if people acknowledge. But um, yeah, it's the culture and everything is also changing so fast too. Like I remember growing up, the idea of having like a nude leak or something is that's like the end of the world. Holy right. shit. And not to say that that wouldn't be really embarrassing now, but like the culture has changed a lot on that because of just how common like all of that stuff is too. So I don't know who's 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 to know in 10 or 15 years. We'll be well, on and there's stuff. also there's a difference between stated preference and revealed preference, which I feel like they're like the red. A lot of people will use stats of like, oh, well. Uh, I, I saw one just today. Fifteen uh, percent of women on social me- media, whatever dating apps, would not go for a guy who is five eight or less. And so I saw that sharing, and they're like, oh, "Okay, so only fifteen percent of women would date a, a guy who is five eight or less." That's obviously not true. Like that's obviously not true. I think the average height in Canada's, or at least Quebec, where I'm from, is like five nine or something. So like mm-hmm. obviously 
women are dating men who are below that. But I feel like what happens is that for a lot of these dating apps and things, people will have like an ideal or even like the, the interviews on the streets that women do, like how, how much should uh, your ideal partner make? And they'll say like some crazy number. That's not to say that they're only going to date someone who meets that. Like, cause obviously that's not the case. And it's fun that we can make fun of how unrealistic they are. But mm -hmm. if you're using that information to be like, this is why I can never find a relationship. It's, that doesn't make sense. Like, obviously people yeah. are dating outside of those preferences. Yeah. Yeah. And it seems like, um, uh, even more than, yeah, for the revealed preference thing, like people can have preferences, but those preferences, um, aren't necessarily like outcome determinative, you know, like somebody might say, um, like a woman might say like, oh yeah, I would, I'd like to date a guy that's six feet tall. And I think for a lot of women, I think that's true. And for a lot of guys, like, I'd like a woman who's like five foot, you know, small. I think it's cute when you mm -hmm. have like small girls, but if you meet somebody that checks off enough boxes, I don't think unless you're like part of the 0.001%, a woman is never turning down a guy who's 5'9", who checks every other box, who's not six right. feet tall. And a guy is never turning down a woman who's like 5'6", uh, you know, who checks every other box because she's not five feet tall. Um, yeah, so like people can have these preferences, but they're pretty fluid and they're pretty malleable. And people meet people that surprise them all the time and then start to feel differently about whether they date them or not. Uh, I think that's like a fact of life, you know? Uh, the McClone code says it's good to teach your kid obedience, but it can't be the only thing you teach them. And I'm like, maybe it's my personality type. I don't even like the term like obedience because I feel like obedience denotes just like you're doing it because someone says you're doing it. I obviously it takes time, but I would like a relationship with my daughter where she trusts me that uh, like I'm making good decisions that she knows I have her best interests at heart. And mm -hmm. then, you know, it, it can be more than just obedience. And I feel like that also is, it's because I'm anti-government. And so anytime I think of like what I want the relationship between me and my daughter to be, I'm like, would I, ex would I accept this from someone who's supposedly in a higher position of authority than me? Mm -hmm. um, marriage causes divorce. Interestingly, men who are successful like Bill Gates, Elon Musk, et cetera, are probably on the spectrum and divorce, but are still good for humanity. I don't know. In, I, I don't think anyone is making the case that like getting a divorce means you're bad for humanity. I don't know. Uh, I feel like I don't know what that means by better for humanity. I mean, they probably contribute more, but sure, I guess. Yeah. yeah. Uh, SG says, Lauren, what are your thoughts on Valentine's Day? I don't have a problem with it. Um, I, I saw a, a post that was kind of saying that it was creepy when a, like one father sent his daughter flowers every Valentine's Day. I don't think Valentine's Day needs to be only about romantic love. So, yeah, celebrate your friends, celebrate your family, people you love. Why not? Jesse Aaron says, do you think... <laughs> Just be careful with that advice, though. If you go, like, if you end up going out to dinner with, like, your brother, people are going to look at you weird if you're, like, <laughs> both, like, 18. Just, sorry, maybe, I just want to give maybe. that caveat. Yeah, if I'm here, but go ahead, yeah. Do you think the Obama divorce law changes have contributed at all to the state of marriage? Uh, what do you think? I mean, there's a lot of people on the right who are saying no-fault divorce laws. We need to get rid of them. They're killing everybody. Wait, but I thought divorce was a state issue. What are the Obama divorce laws? They changed that I'm not that I'm not sure of because I'm pretty sure it is a. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what Jesse means, but I think oh. he's probably referring to. No I don't think it, I don't think there's anything wrong with no fault divorce. Um, I think that if you want to keep people together, I think that we should like help people learn how to do relationships better and, and figure out how to do that. But the idea of like we need to keep people from getting divorced who want to get divorced. Um, I, personally, uh, I'll take a stronger stance on this. Actually, 
The only reason people complain about no-fault divorce is because they have this idea that women just get divorced because they want to and because there's so much to gain from it and because being a single woman who divorced a guy is like the sexiest, coolest thing in the world and you get all of his money and his alimony and every guy that complains about this is a broke fucking loser anyway, so he never has to worry about alimony. Like, I, like the, I, I'm wholly unconvinced about these like no cont uncontested divorce or no contest divorce, the worst. I don't believe it. I think it's dumb. If people want to get divorced, let them fucking get divorced. But if you don't want people to get divorced, help people find better partners in marriage and then help people like maintain their relationships better. I agree that I, I think if we are pro-marriage, pro-family staying together, and we are literally just relying on I physically, legally cannot divorce this person, we've probably already lost. That's yeah. probably not a position of strength to be coming from. Mm -hmm. Justin Green, had a woman complain about a source of stress, and when that source of stress abated, she was sad and got mad at me for celebrating for her that the source was gone. I invalidated her emotions, WTF. Okay, I some women are crazy, as you know, sometimes it doesn't make sense. I'm not, I'm not here to say otherwise. Spoiler alert, that, uh, that woman's probably mom died and uh, oh. she had cancer and it was stressful for a long time and the guy was like, good, at least she's fucking gone and now she complained. He's like, what's going on? Guarantee that's what, I don't know. I'm sorry. Okay, if it's God. something like that, then th that right there is an autism moment, uh, yes. Every time people Let make vague complaints, I always say, give me the fucking details. 50% of the time, the other person is crazy. 50% of the time, the guy or the girl, because women are crazy too, no offense, um, or take offense, uh, you know, when they actually give you the details of the circumstances, they're like, okay, you're the one that's fucking crazy here. You're the one that's in the wrong here. So I, it's always funny when people make vague complaints, like this person yesterday complained and they said that I'm always ignoring them just so they don't respond to every single fucking text. Like, can you tell me what's going on? And then you find out that they like ghost their partner for like four days at a time when they've been dating for like six months. Like, bro. Yeah. Well, I I've I brought this up before on stream, but one of my favorite pages on the internet is r slash AITA. So am I the asshole? Yeah. It's just basically people are like, here are my personal problems. Please judge me. And I'm like, yes, would love to. And uh, no, it is it is funny what details people will omit in order to make themselves look good. Uh -huh. Thunderstorm, less siblings means less communication skills. Also, less communal culture means less connections. Can't replace culture with ideology. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think having a sibling teaches you a lot about life that is hard to replicate otherwise. Jeremy Willis, there are many messages to men re-emotional improvement. Why do women receive no equivalent messaging around self-improvement? They are good as is. I think that's... A legitimate thing to point out uh ali beth stecky she she's talked about like the toxic culture of self-love or self-acceptance a lot uh, basically oh if you can't have me at my worst you don't deserve me at my best like no it's okay to have partners who kind of want to pull you toward a better a better side and i, I think there are studies done that the the relationships that tend to stay together the longest are ones where they feel that their partner is kind of there to help them be accountable or even like to push them in a better direction rather than just enabling them in whatever they may be doing at that at that certain time. Yeah, I think that uh, there's another one of those things where it's like, you know what an MRA is, men's rights activist? Yes. Like, there are things where it's like there are issues that need to be talked about, then, but it feels like the people that carry the banner for these issues are the worst types of people ever. When people talk about like women need to work on things too, uh, that's definitely true. But then when I look at, um, like, if I think of like things that women need to work on, uh, like being more forward, I think would actually be helpful. And Zoomers actually absolutely play these insane games with guys where they're constantly waiting for the guy to make the first move and they refuse to do it. And dumb shit like that is annoying. Um, women being too agreeable, especially in bedroom related stuff where women are like, will very easily get pressured into sex because they don't want to say no or because they feel bad or blah, blah, blah. Like, I think that there are areas here where there's good room to give advice to women or women expecting their boyfriends or whatever to be the same types of like emotional pincushions that their friends might be isn't always a fair expectation. 
et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. There's a lot of good advice I think you can give broadly, like women, to self-improve. But the people that always say women need advice too, they need to self-improve, here's what they need to do. One, stop being an over-entitled fucking cunt. Just because you can sell pictures of your fucking feet online doesn't mean that you're entitled to a six-figure fucking man just because you blah, 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 blah. Like, that's always I was like, bro. Calm the fuck down. What the fuck? It's like the guys that say like, oh, well, the reason why I shit on fat women all the time on Twitter is because I just think it's not healthy. And health at every size is really damaging to women's health. It's like, okay, well, have you ever said anything about how like birth control might be damaging to women's health? Like, why is this the one issue that you fixate on? I, I never believe the intentions of people. I, fuck, I'm sorry. I've poisoned the well so hard. But there are, there are women's issues that should be talked about that they can improve on. But oftentimes the people that carry that banner are fucking insane, in my opinion. All right. Uh, Tom Selden, can Destiny explain dog warts? I've heard him mention it before, but I'm not sure what it means. I don't know what that is. Um, the, without getting too into it, basically, there was a guy that came into my stream one time, and we got... I think the conversation started with if you were uh, if you were a miniature person, would your cat eat you basically, or would they like like you or be nice? And then somehow this turned into dogs, and somehow the conversation evolved into like if there was a if there was like a Hogwarts for dogs, and dogs could cast any spell they could, what kind of spells would they cast? And then it was just a dumb conversation of like if there was one spell a dog could cast, would they do it in a way that like helps their owners? Would they secretly hurt their owners? It was just some, it was a but it's a really off dumb thought experiment in that direction, but yeah. Okay. Uh, CHD, howdy, Lauren. Glad you're doing these live streams. Would you like to collab with Rollo Tomasi or Michael Sartain to get better information? Um, Rollo Tomasi, I've heard of Michael Sartain. I've not. Rollo Tomasi, from what I understand, he was trying to collect nudes of Brittany Venti in order to hold them over. So, like, I'm happy to talk to people who have different opinions than me. That's fine. But if someone is, like, genuinely pretty toxic which it kind of seems like rollo is i'm not really interested in that like i don't want to have someone on stream where like i have to worry about whether they're going to i don't know try to blackmail me about something in the future that just seems like it would be a headache huh the mcclone yeah. code men in their degeneracy love degenerate women men in their degeneracy or regeneracy do not as a culture where ought we aim men shouldn't date only fan girls well i think there's there's an interesting like conversation we had about the pull and pu the pull and the push of like only fans because i'm i'm happy to like say to women like let's talk about only fans let's talk about the long-term implications how it's going to affect your ability to find a partner going forward what it's going to mean for you know your children going to school in the future if those pictures come out unless we also have a conversation about men who are subbing to those only fans girls it's basically meaningless i don't think we can only focus on one side of the issue and it's, it's funny. So like the whatever podcast, I would love it. They always have like OnlyFans girls on. I would love it if they would like have an episode that was OnlyFans simps. Like instead of the girls, they have the same side of that. But like the men who are enabling that. And they have do have that on every single episode. It's called the audience. <laughs> it's called the audience. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Go ahead. But I know what you mean. Yeah. That would, that would be good. Um, Brian, you should do that. Uh, 150 years ago, a man would marry a former brothel woman and move to another territory where they weren't recognized. Fast communication means the whole world is no longer a hiding place. That's interesting. Lone Boy 63. This is the least I've disliked hearing Destiny talk. I find myself agreeing with him when it comes to politics, though. Uh, throw up emoji. Okay, so that actually is a good good place to leave off. You recently had a like two and a half hour conversation with Ben Shapiro on the Lex Freeman podcast. It mm -hmm. did feature Ben Shapiro in a leather jacket. Still not sure how I feel about that. Uh, but I thought it was really interesting. What were your takeaways of, of that conversation? Um, nothing. Um, nothing? The, without, without getting too 
well, it's like a whole fucking mind thing or whatever. Um, <clears throat> when I approach political debates, there are certain types of preparations that I'll do depending on the type of person I'm debating. Um, ben Shapiro is somebody that I think is more intelligent than most people uh, in politics, period, really. And for a debate like that, I, it would be really fun to take one or two topics and like really tear them apart for two or three hours. Since this was our first conversation ever, it was more probably a trust building exercise of anything else on, on my part for him uh, to show that I'm not insane. So we kind of, I think we probably bounced off of like 9, 10, 11 or whatever different topics in the course right. of two, two and a half hours. So it was like an okay conversation. But when I have somebody like Ben, it would be really fun to like, I want to talk about like the Abraham Accords for like three hours. Or I want to talk about like schools for like three hours rather than, well, let's each do two sentences on each topic and then move to the next thing. So it was like a fun conversation, but we didn't get quite as deep as I would have wanted to. But that's not like his fault or anything. It was just because it was the first time we'd spoken to each other. Yeah. Right. Well, I mean, you, you bring up schools and I thought that was so you bring you brought up something called like the conservative merry-go-round. Would you mind explaining what that is for people who haven't seen the video yet? And if you haven't seen it yet, by the way, you should watch it. Yeah, I just I feel like sometimes when you're trying to push for incremental change, I feel like conservatives are really good at pumping the brakes on everything by saying this won't fix everything. Therefore, we shouldn't do it at all. So I think the two things I brought up to Ben is I'm pretty sure the two most empirically backed things to help students in school is as stupid as it sounds. One is air conditioner. Um, I want to say there's research where it's like every degree lower a classroom is, there's like an aggregate boost to like children's grades. So so I want to I, I I heard you bring that up as like something mm -hmm. that we should be investing. What what exactly how was that study done? Was it done kind of just where where they measure the overall like temperatures of different classrooms and then it, they extrapolate or was it done in a control where they actually were themselves controlling the 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 temperature of a classroom and then comparing it to different classrooms where it's like the same teacher and stuff? Jesus, man, I don't, I didn't read the fucking methodology. I just read the abstract on this. Um, it was a study that, uh, from, I think a few years ago. Um, I just Google, I'm not, I gotta, I'm not trying to yeah. Like do a gotcha, but the, the first <clears> throat> thing throat> I, I thought of when I heard you say that was if it is a study where they're literally just looking at like temperature versus student performance, a lot of like the global south does not have air conditioning and they would, I would imagine, have like lower test scores, but it's not necessarily the air conditioning that's the problem there, if that makes sense. That's like, that's just where my mind went. And that's why I'm asking about how, yeah, sure. what exactly the study meant. This particular study somehow was able to link, um, uh, doing modeling was able to link like different, like the degree increase would reduce learning by some. It was without air conditioning, each one degree Fahrenheit increase in school year temperature reduces the amount learned that year by 1%. Um, I would have to dig into the methodology exactly for how they study that. Um, but I know there are other studies that link a lot of adverse impacts for higher heat in schools of just like fucking kids up a lot. Um, I mean, if we have a, if you want to have a big research rate on this, I can go and actually read like the full studies later, but I didn't dive into the methodologies on these. I just know that the heat thing and the, um, and the food thing are two things that I've heard that are, one, they seem like no-brainers. I don't think we should want kids to go to school and be in like uncomfortably hot temperatures. And we don't want kids to go to school and be hungry. And two, they're like, they're really easy. I really like, um, is tractable the opposite of intractable? An intractable problem can't be solved. I like easily fixable problems. And giving mm -hmm. kids lunch and having air conditioning, these are like easy to fix problems. It's not an infinite amount of money black hole, you know, like maybe like homeless populations or war on drugs might be. Um, it's an easy thing with a fixed solution. It's not something that it's like, oh, how many air conditioners do we need? Or like, oh, how many billions of lunches? Like, well, you know how many kids you have to feed. You have to... So if there's like easy changes like that that can incrementally improve children's lives, I think that's good. But the problem is when you make suggestions like this, and we could point to any number of other topics as well, uh, sex, uh, abortion, whatever else, it feels like conservatives say, well, that's not going to fix the whole problem because the actual problem is 
and then it'll be some really abstract thing like the family. Like, yeah, which, I, which is what Ben Shapiro was bringing yeah. up. Yeah, right? and then when the solution is like, okay, well, how, fuck, well, how the fuck do we fix the family? You know, like people get married for a whole bunch of different reasons. People have kids for a whole bunch of different reasons. People make choice. And then Ben is like, well, shotgun marriages. I'm like, fuck, come on. Like, I don't think there's a realistic solution. And then I felt like I got conservative merry-go-round right there. I was like, well, okay, well, fuck me. Maybe we can make small incremental changes in schools to help children learn better. And he's like, but what about shotgun marriages to fix the family structure? I'm like, I don't know about that, but yeah, that, that's basically what I'm talking about when I say the conservative. Yeah, well, right I, I think him. it's true. So like, obviously when we talk about like school performance, having two parent households is like a, a huge thing, but uh -huh. I, and I, we should very much advocate for that as conservatives, but also like if someone is, for example, like running as like school superintendent or like governor, they need to have a policy on school that is beyond just like everybody get married. Okay, 100% agree with you there. Yeah. Um, I was surprised, but I, maybe- I will say sorry, I will but... agree though on the conservative side too though that there are sometimes too many fixations on incremental changes without thinking about like, well, what are the underlying problems? People on the left do have that issue. I would admit that 100%, but people on the right have a really hard time accepting any incremental change too. Yeah, just a mm -hmm. summary. Yeah. Well, I, I thought it was strange that maybe I missed it, but he didn't bring up things like school choice or teachers unions at all, right? Um, did he mention teachers unions? I don't remember. He might have. I'm not sure. But I think we focused on like the shotgun marriage idea. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I thought I, I thought that was interesting from Ben Shapiro that like school choice is like this really big issue right now. Um, and he didn't bring it up as a conservative way. Like, hey, this is actually a policy we can introduce in the hopes that improvement comes to students. Um, I thought that was interesting. Something that I've also been like reading a lot about is like when when we look at the disparities for different groups in terms of like their standardized test scores, chronic absenteeism is actually a huge problem in a lot of in a lot of different communities and a lot of different schools. And it's something that like you know wait, can you chronic absenteeism? Is that like kids skipping schools or apparently yes. in the household? Or okay, gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, um, and it's like that is something where. You know, because I've also seen when policies are introduced to introduce like, uh, you know, truancy charges and stuff like that to actually like say, OK, you have to get to school. Uh, the, the complaint then is that it's just fast tracking the school to prison pipeline. So, I mean, guess what's what's your take there? It's like if chronic absenteeism is a huge problem in a lot of inner city schools, which it absolutely is, it's something that hopefully parents should be taking more control over but they're not always what is then the the right policy like how how do you make kids show up to school i don't know how you do it uh and now i forgive uh my audience um or forgive me uh to my audience uh, this is where my major conservative side is gonna come out i am a big believer in the saying of um what is it it's like idle is it idle hands or the devil's play shop or idle minds yes. or the devil's place yeah. or whatever uh, when you look at kids, okay, I was really lucky and that my parents worked really hard to send me to a nice uh, private school. When I went to school, the reason why I didn't sell drugs or get involved in crazy stuff, it wasn't because I was a good person or that I was a better person. Uh, well, I mean, I was, I'm a private school superior, but not just because of that. It was because the, um, there was so much stuff to do all the time. Uh, I was in band. Sometimes we had to show up at 7 a.m. to do like early morning rehearsals. There were after school clubs. There were athletic events. There are so many different things going on from the early part of the morning to the, you know, into the middle evening-ish, right? Five, six o'clock, depending on how late your particular practice went. When you have that much stuff going on during the day, you don't have really time as much for like premarital sex as much um, or, you know, like drugs or getting into all this crazy trouble or whatever. Kids that are skipping school, when you're at home and there are no parents around and you've got like eight hours in the day to do like whatever the fuck you want, that's like some Ferris Bueller shit. I just think it's not good. Truancy is really bad. And whatever you can do to like get kids into school and to get them in those environments so that they're not as likely to get into trouble, I think it's a really, really important thing to do, I would say. Mm -hmm.
Okay. Well, and you guys talked about schools. Uh, you also talked about foreign policy. I feel like you guys weren't that misaligned when it comes to the whole Israel situation. And we don't need to like go into the whole thing of that. Uh, we just had mm -hmm. like Dave Smith on. Um, what did what did you think of Shapiro, I guess, macro level, his foreign policy stance? I think we actually probably have quite a few disagreements. I just I I, I have Trump derangement syndrome to the end of the universe. So I just really <laughs> wanted to have a lot of time to talk about how much I hate Donald Trump. So we didn't get into foreign policy as much. Um, I'm pro I, Ben Shapiro is one of the few last old school conservative-ish kind of people, almost neocon. He hasn't fallen to the to the side of the evil populace like you guys all have. So he's still pretty hawkish on foreign policy, which I appreciate because in some ways I am incredibly hawkish. Um, I think given the opportunity to dive really hard into foreign policy, uh, I think I would be a big proponent of America's hawkish policies right now. And I think I'd be highly critical of some of the hawkish policies we've had in the past. And I think I'd probably talk a lot more about, like, I basically, I kind of agreed with Ben that like there has to be an off ramp for the Ukraine stuff. We don't want to be the in a forever war, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I don't think we're there yet, though. I don't even know if we're close to that yet. Uh, so I'd probably argue a lot more about Ukraine. And then for Israel Palestine, um, I spend most of my time fighting with pro Palestinians that think that, you know, as long as you're brown or oppressed, you can do literally no wrong, which is insane. Right. But with Ben, um, I would fight to the death on a lot of stuff related to the settlements in the West Bank. I think it's incredibly toxic. Um, the need to push for some actual long term solution with the Palestinian people um, that Israel has has to be a better partner for peace. They need to stop pretending like the entire world is out to get them. It is fine. That country is not facing existential threats of annihilation anymore. They don't have to act like it. These are the areas that I think I would push really hard on for foreign policy. Um, and I'd probably attack Trump a lot more too. He gets way too much credit for the Abraham Accords. He doesn't get enough credit for how horribly fucked up the Afghanistan um, pullout was, which I think was almost entirely his fault. But yeah, that, that's, yeah, those are my broad takes on that. Mm -hmm. um so I guess uh, regarding the settlements, what what um, what do you what do you think your stance is? I guess misaligned with Ben Shapiro's regarding that. I think that on a very broad level, Israel Palestine is like it, it's like one kid being like, "I want to beat the shit out of you. Give me a goddamn reason." And that's Israel. And then the other kid is like, "I'm going to give you all the reasons." And then that's like Palestine and the surrounding Arab countries. So I think Israel like. It wants to act out, but then the other countries around, them, they always give them a good excuse to do it. It's like, okay, well, I can't really fault them. But I would think, I would say like the last 20 to 30 years have been a pretty big departure from that. Um, the Palestinians are no longer represented by the Egyptians, the Jordanians, and the Syrians. They have no real allies anymore. Egypt is a strong country. They've got security guarantees from people all over the world. It's time to calm the fuck down and work out peace with the Palestinians. Um, treating Palestine over the last 20 or 30 years like you treated the entire Arab world coming for your throat, um, you know, from 48 onwards or from 1880s onwards is ridiculous. And Israel needs to drop that. Uh, the settlements have been a disaster for peace negotiations. I don't even know how you do it anymore to, to say that like, well, well, we'll negotiate peace. We'll figure it out while well, you're continually encroaching into, into territory that is occupied. It's just like, it's stupid. It's untenable. You, and it's, yeah. Okay, do you sorry. support, I mean, we've, we've been seeing that the US Biden, he's actually kind of started to draw criticism from hard, hardcore, hardcore Zionists because he's starting to condemn the settlements. We've seen even, I think he's starting to say that they're going to reject visas for, for settlers. Is that something you support? No, I do not support the revoking of visas for settlers. I think that Biden should hold all Israeli aid, every single dollar we send them, contingent on absolutely halting the settlements right now until the problem gets fixed. I think Biden didn't go far enough with that. I think the settlements are ridiculous and every single new house that goes up is an impediment to some sort of future two-state solution. So mm -hmm. I think that there needs to be you, massive you're, you're repercussions. Are you a two-state solution? 
Yeah, I, th I mean, that's I think that's like the only realistic solution there can be, right? I mean, it's interesting because I was talking to Daniel Cohen, um, who's very, very critical of Israel, and then also um, Austin Peterson. And so they were like kind of like Austin Peterson is very, very pro-Zionist, uh, Daniel Cohen, very, very critical. But they both were in support of a one state solution, um, equal rights for Palestinians, Israelis, all of that. The way that Austin Peterson, um, I guess, was arguing for is that Israel would just annex Gaza but then through doing that give gazans like full rights full citizenships which i thought was interesting listen if you ever want to have any of these people uh set up a debate with any of these i would gladly do it uh the problem is that just, it just it would never work in practice the, the reason the issue is that um israelis don't trust that arabs in uh, or palestinian arabs given equal access to voting would vote with their best interests in mind and i think they've got good reason to believe that over the but, past but 30 or 40 you years think yeah. it's kind of it's it's a little bit interesting to call yourself like the one democracy in the Middle East while simultaneously saying, I don't want to give voting rights to these people because I don't think they'll vote in my interest. Well, it's not that they wouldn't vote in your interest, it's that they're anti-democratic. <laughs> I don't think it's that crazy to say like, we're the one democracy in the East, but we're not sure if we would be if we gave voting rights to the four or five million Palestinians that live here, which would also mean that they're probably going to vote for right of return for the five, six or seven million Palestinians that the UN has arbitrarily declared as refugees. And now we've got 12 million more anti-democratic people that live here. I don't know if you would be the one democracy in the Middle East anymore. And I think that's the chief Israeli complaint. Right. But I guess yeah. it's like... That, that That's my issue with the claim that like Israel is the only democracy in the Middle East is that it kind of seems like you are selectively choosing who can and cannot vote in order to uphold a certain set of standards or like a uh -huh. certain uh, homogeneity that I, I think if we were to like look at the West, we would never accept that type of behavior in, in a country like Canada or the US and still call ourselves like a, a liberal democracy. Well, I mean, kind of. So on the first part, I agree with you. This is why um, Israel in some ways wants to have their cake and eat it too. They want right. to say, and these are these are the strongest, I personally don't like the apartheid argument, but if you're going to make it, this is the strongest version of it, okay? Israel wants to say, this territory is not a state, okay? The, the West Bank and the Gaza Strip, these aren't states. This is our, we occupy this territory because we're trying to figure out what to do with it. Okay, well, that's fine. But if you want to occupy that territory, you can't encroach on it with settlements. And it's like, well, hold on. This is our this is our territory. We can we can make settlements here if we want to. It's like, oh, okay. Well, if it's your territory and the Israeli people that you move in there can vote, why the fuck can the Palestinians there not vote? How the fuck does that make sense? How can you ever have people living side by side where some of them have voting rights and some of them don't? And then, like you said, yeah, still call yourself a democracy. It doesn't make any fucking sense. That's literally apartheid. You can't you can't have it both ways. So that's why I'm saying, like, yeah, there needs to be huge international pressure on you have to figure that shit out because it's yeah, it's just stupid and it's gotten dumb and it's still dumb and yeah. Um, as far as like accepting it in the West, it's it's hard in, in America and Canada, especially to compare because we're we're as much as it triggers uh, all the white people to hear it, like we are immigrant countries and our values and the threats that we face from demographic changes and everything are it's way 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 different than people in the Middle East. Like if you come to the West, you're coming here for a particular set of reasons, um, and usually it's because you broadly align with ideas related to liberalism and whatnot. Um, you know, like I've said this a million times in the past, so I'll continue to say it. Like I have no problem in the United States. I will be at events. I don't give a fuck if there are Muslims around me. I'll tweet whatever crazy shit about Muslims I want. I would never go to the Middle East. I would never be in Dubai and tweet some of the shit that I do about Muslims. I don't even know if I would do that in fucking Paris or London and tweet some of the shit I do about Muslims. But the people that come to the United States or Canada, well, at least the US, I can't speak for Canada. You guys are fucking wacky. Um, but at least in the United States, like we're very much like an immigrant country. So to compare our demographic standards and how we enforce our stuff, like Israel is a lot different, I think. Um, but do you, do you think that a lot of the people who are coming here are doing it because they broadly agree with liberal values or do you think they're coming for economic reasons? 
I think those two things are, are very closely related, I think. I think that liberalism, broadly speaking, things like private property rights and capitalism and the ability to work jobs and get an education, I think all of these things roughly tie together. I mean, I agree it might not necessarily be because they're like, yeah, I support like the Constitution of the United States. But hey, I mean, you don't have to support the Constitution to be a good American. That's the entire Republican Party right now. So yeah, I, I think that broadly speaking, I think that a person like a, like a PhD Kenyan that comes to the United States is probably going to share more values here than they would with like a Ugandan warlord or something, I would say. I, I'm using really hyperbolic examples. But yeah, I, I think it's evidenced in like our Muslim population here. So it's, it's, it's always a good one to point to. Like I'm pretty sure our Muslims are more tolerant, for instance, of gay marriage than like evangelical Christians are, which is like interesting. And you don't really see that much like Muslim extremist violence over here. Um, I think if I was in Canada, I'd be more worried about an indigenous person killing me in a church than a fucking Muslim. So yeah, but I don't know. That's just my feeling. That probably was a fair shot. But like, yeah, um, that's that's just my feeling. Though. Okay. Um, I mean, it, I, and I know people in, in the chat are going to be very critical. And I, I would agree that I'd be sorry, I would disagree with you and agree with them. Like it's not, it's a different concern, like the, the way that voting trends would like, I think it's the same concern. Ultimately, it's you, you're dealing with like, I don't want to say an indigenous population because then like a lot of people who are not Native Americans, this applies to. But if you're dealing with like one group that has citizenship rights and voting mm -hmm. rights, I think it just it always makes sense to think who you are extending that franchise to and what their competing concerns may or may not be. It's nah. we can talk about we could talk about that very openly in regard to mm -hmm. Israel and they talk about it very openly as well. But we can't do that in places like Canada or the United States without being called xenophobic or racist. And I think Here, that's, this is my frustration. This is my issue because I've debated so many, I'm not saying you're a white nationalist, but I've debated a lot of really far right, like Nazi white nationalist people say this. Here's my issue. I feel like that falls on its face with two questions. So I might say something to somebody's like, okay, well, what, what are your thoughts on immigration? And they'll say, well, immigration is a huge problem. We get lots of non-white people that come, you know, from places like Mexico, uh, Honduras, El Salvador, Costa Rica, whatever. They all come up here through Mexico. They're going to change the voting demographics in the United States. And slowly we're going to see an erosion of our policies in the U.S. because of a different demographic of people moving here. Uh, our demographic is, you know, white, homogenous, European stock, more or less, um, and their demographic is going to vote for something way different. And it's like, okay, chief, let's say that's true. Let's say that we ban all non-white immigration, or at least all immigration from like Central American shit from the United States. And you want to go to your homogenous countries. Do you think people from fucking Sweden or Norway or Finland or France are coming to the United States and voting for Donald Trump? Do you think that people are coming from fucking Britain and you think they're like, Donald Trump, this guy's actually pretty cool. Like, bro, these people are going to heavily vote Democrat. You wouldn't like their demographic. In fact, it, would, it, it wouldn't be surprising to me. Fuck, I should look up numbers on this because it would be nice. It would be a good gotcha for people. Um, it wouldn't be surprising to me if Hispanic people coming up from the South tended to vote a little bit more conservative than like people coming from like Scandinavia, just because on social values, they might align with. Oh, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised mm -hmm. by that at all. And that's why, like, I don't argue around immigration from a racial standpoint standpoint like i think it it makes sense like if you look at the policies that like you know someone from venezuela might have coming over i think it makes sense just from like a, literally a policy standpoint to say hey this doesn't really make sense like does this align do we want to give someone the right to vote this quickly uh, i think it's like you know depending on the route they take like you know within 10 years potentially someone could be an american citizen could be legally voting and that's not even to mention like you know kids that might also be voting eventually like it, it just it speaks to a cultural shift and i don't think it makes someone a white nationalist to be concerned about that and never mind like the reason why we have so many politicians who are very gung-ho with mass migration it is from an economic standpoint like social security and all that it doesn't actually solve the problem that 
people in America and in Canada, in our Western countries, aren't having kids. Like there, there's this belief that if we just import enough people, then all of these programs, these government programs we have, they'll be fine because we'll have more people. Like, but does that make up for the fact that Americans, Canadians, Brits, whatever, aren't actually having kids themselves? Like, I don't think it's a, it's a band aid. The kids thing is an interesting problem on like three different levels. It's an interesting ethical dilemma. Dilemma? Is it a dilemma? Um, should you be able to compel people to have children? That's a really. I mean, I'm not. Yeah. I'm not for mm -hmm. compelling people, but I think we could have more pro-natal policies and a pr more pro-natal culture. Pro-natal. So my understanding is pro-natal policies. I think almost ubiquitously fail. Could be wrong, but I feel like I read in World War II. I think, especially in Italy, I think they tried like they tried a lot to encourage family growth. But the Hungary, reality is, is they're 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 doing some pretty cool things, and they are one of the few countries where the the birth rate has gone up a little bit. Which country? Hungary. Okay, I can't speak to Hungary right now because I haven't looked at that. That could be the case. Um, so, but I was going to say I don't know as much about pronatal policies. Pronatal culture, I think, can definitely be a thing. Um, because there are some groups of people, isn't it like the, it's all the fucking settlers, I think, in Israel. Don't these people pump out kids like crazy? I think like Israel is one of the only developed countries in the world with uh, with like a huge birth rate still, unless that's changed recently. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, no, I, it is actually I, I still. Yeah, in, so. I used mm -hmm. to live in Utah and like the birth rate within Utah is very different. You know, mm -hmm. especially like I forget, like the, you know, the one area where it's like, you know, Salt Lake City, like Provo, where all the Mormons are living, like the, the birth rate is very high. So it, it is possible to have people in developed countries who do have very high birth rates. You know, certain religious communities do have that. It's just by and large worldwide, we've seen that as economic development happens, birth rates plummet. Yeah. Which and is I a think, problem. yeah, that's, hmm, this is, uh, it kind of goes back to our first thing about like pornography and stuff. I think that we always assumed, this is gonna sound really mean, I don't mean to sound mean to any parents or whatever, I like kids, I love my kid, I, but I think that for a long time, we just assumed that like women like to make babies and like have babies and be moms and like people wanna have families and big families and blah, 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 blah. And I think we assumed for a long time that that was like a really built-in fundamental feature of our biology and not like a consequence of some social thing. And I think as life has grown to provide people, especially women with a lot more alternatives, the competition for having a child is really high now. Again, if you go back like 100 years uh, and you're a woman and you're like 22, well, what the fuck are you gonna do besides like having kids? There's like not much for you. Other, help around the house, I guess. Um, or, or yeah, or, yeah. there's just not much else for you to do. But now having a child is gonna compete with, well, you at least wanna get your four-year degree in college, so you're putting it off at least four years. You're not shopping around for a serious relationship. You might wanna start your career. If you start your career, well, now you're putting it off for another five years. So now we're like approaching 30 before we even, even, before we're even seriously considering having a kid. Whereas before, women might've started dating their late teens, um, 18, 19, uh, don't get too excited libertarians, or like their early 20s and they're already looking to like start families. So I, I think that the societal changes and what's competing for attention to have kids is, is a lot, it's a lot different now than it used to be, which goes back to the ethical question of like, how much ought you compel people to have children? Like, let's say that our birth rates were 1.2 forever, as long as women could work and had access to birth control. Like, do we take those two things away or do we start like picking and choosing and clawing some things back because women aren't fulfilling their obligations to have enough kids? Um, I'm asking these rhetorically, like I know the answer. I don't know the answer. I think these are actually really interesting, really complicated questions because there is a future at some point. I don't think we're there yet, but it's like, you know, the populations of all the countries are dwindling and we're like, okay, well, fuck, I don't think this is working. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. It's, it's a challenging one, yeah. Gapples, we need to allow Im immigrants in, but ship them in our country, okay, beyond parole. Well, there's a there's a solution that would upset everybody uh, for different reasons. Uh, yeah, so, I mean, the thing is, I, you know, I'm, I'm, I obviously don't think that we should be, like, forcing women to have kids, but I, 
I appreciate that you can at least accept that this is a problem because I've spoken with like a lot of libertine people who will say like, well, it's no, like this is a conversation we shouldn't even be having, but there are actual societal consequences when people stop having kids. Like we're, we're seeing that right now. You see it in Japan on a way bigger scale. Like they have ghost factories and things like that, right? There are, there are people who are in retirement homes and they're being cared for by robots. And again, not even to mention the whole social security issue. So mm -hmm. birth rate is is a big problem i mean i've 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 even seen people suggest, but but simultaneously, mm -hmm. the thing is, you also don't want to incentivize the dissolution of the family structure, which a lot of these attempts at being uh, pro-child or pro-natalist in the United States have inadvertently done, right? So there, there's a fine line to walk yeah. there, where you want to be supporting families, but you don't want to be incentivizing out of ch out of wedlock children. Yeah, I. It's just it's a hard one because like. So for instance, to even go back to the fundamental question, is, is the demographic problem in terms of age now, not race, is that an issue? I don't actually think it is right now. And my guess is it would probably take several generations for it to be there. Um, I'm gonna give the the, the WEF spooky Klaus Schwab uh, shave the or trim the population answer that everybody hates. But like, if we lost like 20 to 30 to 40% of the, well, that's probably way too much. If we lost like five to 10% of the human population, technically, at least in the short term, there are a lot of problems that get way better. Housing becomes way more affordable because you no longer have as many people chasing the same number of houses. Um, you're, uh, if you are worried about like climate change or pollution, that's not as big of a deal. Your cities aren't as crowded. Like technically losing some population in the immediate short term alleviates some problems. Um, because I know that like up until, fuck, what was it, like 2005? I feel like all we heard every single day was overpopulation, overpopulation, over, it's gonna destroy us all. And then it feels like in 10 years, now we're like, holy shit, we're gonna lose all of our people where the planet is depopulating and this is the worst thing ever. And it's like, I don't think we're there yet. And who knows, maybe there's like an equilibrium state that we reach where it's like at some point be like, okay, well now I do want to have kids because there aren't as many people competing for the same number of things. Um, there's but also, like, yeah, go ahead. I, I actually have friends who like in Canada, housing crisis is really bad. They mm -hmm. they used to say like, I'm just going to wait until boomers die literally and buy their <laughs> True. house. Right. But the thing is, that's not really possible when Trudeau is simultaneously importing immigrants who only go to these major population centers. So that's that's the problem. And it's not necessarily like, oh, this is a problem that we have 5% fewer people in the country. It's where those missing people are, right? Because it, it's not just we have fewer people, it's that we have a higher proportion of retirees and lower people in the a lower number of people in the workforce. Like that's the issue. So we, we have fewer people who are working who are now needing to support the bigger amount of people who are retired and not on the workforce. That's, that's kind of the big issue there. Um, I, I don't think that's an issue in the United States. I will say, um, uh, cause I see the other Lauren, I see Lauren Southern tweet shit sometimes about Canadian immigration. And I always want to say it's stupid cause it's conservative, blah, blah, blah. But then I look it up. You guys do some wacky stuff in Canada when it comes, I feel like there were districts. What was it? You had like 40% of your population or you're like bringing in more immigrants from like India. I can't speak for Canada shit. You guys are wacky as fuck up there. So oh, you no, guys might crazy. actually have problems with that. <laughs> I know in the United States immigration is still considered even illegal immigration is considered even a fiscal boon, um, to our budget because they don't uh, draw social security and shit. Um, I can't speak to Canada. You, your guys' shit might legitimately be fucking weird up there because, yeah, you guys are on some you guys are on some wacky shit. But at least in the U.S., we're not having problems here where it's like, oh, no, the immigrants are fucking us over. We're at like 3% fucking whatever unemployment for the longest period in all of U.S. history. We are dying for workers down here. You should, you should make a program like, uh, I don't know, call it Indians for Oil. We can ship up more oil to Canada. You guys can send us some of your fucking immigrants. We can help shore up our employment a little bit better. You guys get some more economy shit. I don't know. Maybe that's we, we can work out a deal there. But yeah, I, everything that I say economically, I do want to be very precise. I'm, it sounds like I'm half joking, but like I really am only speaking from an American's perspective.
perspective because Canadians, you guys do have different issues a little bit that play out a bit differently. So the things that I see in America might not necessarily apply to your country. Damn, that was a, the Indian joke was too far. It was comparing her to the other Lauren. That's a big no-no. I shouldn't have done that, especially with the same name. There's probably a lot of competition there to be the biggest and baddest Canadian YouTube Lauren East versus Lauren. I'm just kidding. That's I'm just kidding. Stop. Okay, I'm doing messages until she comes back. Hold on. We're gonna call her Lauren West just because you guys are being racist. Stop being weird about it. Is she even Canadian? I thought so, isn't she? Thanks, Gregor. Would you ever chat with Ben Shapiro off-stream to build up some rapport? If you wanted to, yeah, sure. But I feel like I'm encroaching on somebody's time. Which is incredibly rude, by the way. We're gonna talk about that. As soon as I'm done with this, we're gonna talk about that. I will have my diva moment today. I am so triggered because I'm so, I'm very right. I'm sorry, shit. But you guys okay. don't understand. So I'm my, yeah, my I, internet oh. pieced out. Uh, that's why I'm on my phone. Very sorry, guys. Sorry to leave you stranded on my own stream destiny. That is embarrassing. Oh, well, it happens. Damn, Canadian internet or? No, so I'm in Um, Wait. Oh, sorry. You're in what? I'm in. I'm in Nashville. Oh well. What the fuck? Yeah, I know, right? Um, sorry. Uh, sorry that I cut out there, but I think we're we're about to, uh, at 90 minutes. So uh, I do want to say thank you, Destiny, for I guess all the time for great conversation. Uh, where could people follow you if they're not already doing so? Uh, YouTube.com/slash/Destiny. Yeah. All right. And a uh, huge thank you to everyone for tuning in. Again, apologies for the live stream. Uh, kind of just piecing out. And uh, I guess on that note, I will see you guys next time, hopefully with some better internet. Take Thanks care. Thanks a lot. Have fun.